as we come to this most famous account of David and Goliath. Let me just give a, a quick recap of where we've come so far in our studies from 1 Samuel. Remember in our first week, we saw that Samuel is raised up to rescue God's people. Uh, week two, even though God's people think that they can manipulate God, uh, both they and the Philistines learn that he is in fact king. They do battle with the Ark of the Covenant, but God wins supreme. Week three, Israel reject God as king. They want a king like all the nations. And God gives into their desires and gives them a king. They got what they wanted, but they lose what they had. Week four, Saul is anointed as that first king, elected and confirmed. God's doing, God's choice entirely. And then last week, almost immediately, we see Saul's unworthiness to be king. Uh, he doesn't obey God's specific commands as revealed through Samuel. And now we turn today to chapter 17, 1 Samuel 17. We're asking these same three questions we've asked throughout the series. What is the passage about? What does it teach us about God? And how does it point us to Jesus? So first of all, what is the passage about? Uh, first of all, back in chapter 16, David is anointed as king you'll probably all remember from your account from sunday school days that samuel is in mourning for saul because of god's rejection rejection of him as king and he's now called upon to go and anoint another king samuel's tendency matches ours doesn't it we do it all the time we judge by outward appearance so he saw eliab strapping eldest son of Jesse and thought that he must be God's choice uh, but the Lord said to Samuel in chapter 16 verse 7 the Lord does not look at the things that people look at people look at the outward appearance the Lord looks at the heart that's a great lesson for us in itself isn't it to not make too many assumptions about someone's outward appearance uh, well Jesse had seven of his sons parade in front of Samuel one by one the Lord tells Samuel that it wasn't any of these that he had chosen to be the next king. Do you have any more sons? asked Samuel. Well, the youngest is out tending sheep, as if to say, surely you're not interested in him, he's just a boy. But the Lord said to Samuel, rise and anoint him. He is the one. And from that day on, the spirit of the Lord came upon David in power. Now look at chapter 16, verse 14. Uh, for as soon as we read the Spirit came upon David in power, we read that the Spirit of the Lord departed from Saul. It's a tragic moment. So the transfer of God's anointing as king, God's blessing as king, God's empowering by his Spirit as king was now all upon David. And in a sobering postscript, we read that an evil or better harmful spirit from the Lord tormented Saul. Some have understood this as bouts of depression, but whatever form it took, troubled Saul finds solace in David's music. And in an ironic twist, the new king, uh, although not yet revealed to the wider public as the new king, but the new king becomes a music therapist to the old king. And whenever that spirit from the Lord hit, David would take up his harp and play and Saul would feel much better. 
Well, chapter 17 begins ominously. The Philistines gathered their forces for war. Israel had forgotten that God had faithfully delivered them from their enemies in the past. Indeed, only when they abandoned him did their enemies gain the upper hand, as so often happened in the book of Judges and even in this book in 1 Samuel back in chapter 4, do you remember? Uh, Then whenever they turned back to the Lord and cried out for help, he delivered them. It was an endless cycle. The very threat to Israel, uh, uh, sorry, I beg your pardon, the threat posed to Israel by this giant of a man, Goliath, is very real. The power that stood against the people of Israel was truly terrifying. It would be astounding if anyone could deliver Israel from this momentous threat. Have a look with me at 1 Samuel 17 verse 11. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. And let me say, you would be too. Uh, We too know very real threats that could intimidate us, don't we? Uh, They are terrifying. We have spiritual forces against us, tempting us to fear. And yet, just as Hannah proclaimed back in chapter 2, the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken to pieces, so too can we be confident in God that he's completely on our side, even when we're facing terrible battles. Romans 8 verse 32, if God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Yes, we can be confident in our battles that God is for us and with us. So David comes on the scene, we're we're introduced to him once more, he tends his father's sheep, but he loves to go to the front line with supplies that his father has for his brothers. And as he's talking to his brothers, two words at the end of chapter 17, verse 23, grab our attention. David heard. He heard. He heard Goliath's now twice daily tirade. And while Saul didn't appear to have any plan of attack against Goliath, David was indignant that Goliath should defy or mock the armies of the living God. He spoke of taking away the mockery of Israel rather than being shattered by it. He saw, as no one else saw, that this uncircumcised Philistine, this pagan worshipper of dead gods, was not only mocking Israel, but Israel's God who was alone the living God. This spirit-filled young man, David, named David, he saw Goliath differently, differently. His brothers were unimpressed by his presumptuous bravado, uh, but uh, word spread about what David was saying, and it was not long before a report reached Saul. As the failed king met the king-elect, it is astonishing how David just simply took charge of the meeting. Did you notice that? Verse 32, let no one lose heart. Your servant will go and fight. (laughs) This is outrageous. This is preposterous from this young boy. These words come come from a small, skinny youth too young to leave home. For this kid to tell the the king that he had no need to be afraid anymore because he, David, would fight the Philistine was either stupid or audacious. Or was it something else? Do not be afraid. I will fight for you. We're reminded, aren't we, of the same words of the angels to the shepherds? Do not be afraid. This 
baby lying in a manger will save you from your enemies. Crazy. Well, Saul, Saul was incredulous. But David defended his claim on the basis of the way that he defended his sheep. Ultimately, David pointed to his strong and only hope. Verse 37, have a look. The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. David saw things this way because he was the anointed one on whom the spirit of the Lord had been given. As David and the Philistine eventually approached one another, Goliath only saw as a man sees and was filled with contempt for David. Because, David, because God was with David, the disaster against a real threat in the form of a giant did not happen. Because the Lord had chosen a king for himself on whom the spirit of the Lord had powerfully come, it became clear that he was about to fight the Philistine. David came in the name of the Lord. The Philistine mocked the Lord and consequently he would be destroyed. With David's victory, the Lord will know who God is. Have a look at me at verse 46. David says, This day the Lord will hand you over to me and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. Today I will give, you, I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel. That's what David wanted the world to know. There is a powerful God. It was, he was God's servant. He was about to embark on God's battle and see God's victory. Well, if that is what the passage is about, what an amazing story. What does this passage teach us about God? First of all, that God saves by raising up a saviour. We saw this in our first uh, sermon from 1 Samuel that Samuel was raised up for that time in Israel's history, now threatened once again by the Philistines and their great champion, God raises up a saviour for them in the person of David. And furthermore, God saves by an unlikely means with a surprising weapon. Uh, why have you come here, says his brothers to David? Saul says, you're only a boy. You're not able to go out and fight against the Philistine. Goliath says, am I a dog that you come with me at sticks? No one thinks this is a good idea. The whole notion of sending a boy to fight a giant, how absurd. But it only serves to prove that it is God who has raised up this saviour. It is God who has given him the courage and God will give him the victory. And David said, I have come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. The Lord will hand you over to me and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. An unlikely means. The boy King David. The unlikely weapon, a sling and a stone. It was God's battle. It was God's victory. And the final thing we learn about God God saves, though his people don't deserve it. They had rejected God as their king, do you remember? The God who had so often rescued them in the past. They wanted to be like all the other nations around them. The first king, Saul, was a sad failure. Now again, as in the period of Judges, 
they were in the midst of another cycle of rebellion. They didn't deserve God's deliverance from this Philistine menace once again. But as we saw last week, back in chapter 12, verse 22, for the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people because the Lord was pleased to make them his own. He is so committed to his people. He will not let them go. And so against all that they deserve, the Lord saved them through David. Well, finally, how does this point us to Jesus no doubt you can already see the links. It's profound as it is simple. First of all, God saves by raising up a saviour. As we saw in our very first Samuel sermon, the God who had so often raised up a saviour raised up our great saviour, Jesus. Galatians chapter 4 verse 4, when the time had fully come, God sent his son born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under the law. You will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus was the one who came in the line of King David, who would save his people from sin and then take up his reign as king. In Jesus, God saves by raising up a saviour. And God saves by an unlikely means with a surprising weapon, a young boy with a slingshot and a few small stones. How absurd. A Messiah on a cross. Even more absurd. Messiah crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles. But nevertheless, God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not counting people's sins against them as astonishingly God who made him who had no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God an unlikely means yet God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe and as with David the foolishness of the cross only serves to demonstrate that it was God's battle it was all God's doing and it's God's victory. And finally, God saves, though his people don't deserve it. For because of his love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead to sin. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. All because of the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I don't deserve what he has done. My back was turned. My heart was hard. My eyes were blind. But he drew me to himself, softened my heart, opened my eyes. I was dead and he gave me life. I was guilty and he acquitted me. Because when he cried out on the cross, it is finished. He had taken my sin. He had conquered death and in his resurrection opened the gates of everlasting life for me. Let me wrap up. We look at the boy David armed with a slingshot and pebbles and we're amazed at his bravery. We're astonished at his victory. 
and in praise of the God who rescued Israel through David that day. Awesome is an overused word, but it is an awesome rescue from an awesome God. But then, then we look at the Lord Jesus, God's own son, and we see him on the cross and we are amazed and humbled by his obedience. We are astonished at his victory over sin and death that he won for us. And we stand at the garden in front of the empty tomb with the stone rolled away and we are in praise of the God who rescued us that day. It was an awesome rescue from an awesome God. Amen.